quick wins and the Chagas Mac curve, like, you know, the protected urea, the less, the crude protein being, being big ones, like get rid of any unproductive animals straight away. Like they shouldn't be hanging around because they're, they're like the longer an animal is on the farm and not productive, then there's emissions that there's no euro sign attached to essentially, like, you know, um, you know, to extend the grazing season as long as you can because emissions when they're outdoors are less when they're, versus when they're indoors. I'm Stuart Childs and you're welcome to the Dairy Age, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. Chagas Rural Economy Division in Athenroy have been recording sustainability data with a number of years as part of the National Farm Survey. The 2022 report was published in October and shows downward movement in the emissions from farms. I asked Kyle Buckley, researcher based in Athenroy, to tell me about the report and I started by asking him to outline some of the numbers in terms of farms and area farmed in the survey. Focusing specifically on the specialised dairy farms, and we use the EU Farm Accounts Data Network typology to define those. It's basically all, all European countries have to report in different typologies. Basically, these farms are two to part two thirds of the growth of the money output is coming from milk. That's the kind of the, the general definition of a specialist dairy farm in the NFS. We have data on 262 farms in 2022. Now we, we get a population weight from the Central Statistics Office based on size and system. So they're representing about 16,500 uh, specialist dairy farms nationwide. Their average uh, farm size is about 65 hectares. Um, average herd size is about 92 uh, cows. Okay. Average stock weight is about 2.1. Okay, so that's basically that's kind of t- that's where the when people hear about the average dairy farm in the country, this is the figure that's been quoted on that ninety two. It's, it's creeping up ever so slightly, bit by bit over the last few years, but it's probably re- reaching its kind of upper limit now at this stage in reality. So, um, just in terms of as I said, we're going to concentrate on the on the kind of the environmental aspects and the innovation pieces of the study that you've re- reported there. The financials will be part of the Outlook Conference and things from uh, tomorrow. Um, just in light of the performance of 2022, the, just explain so, some of the environmental uh, standards that you've been setting there and we'll say what have people achieved and where are they delivering and where are we failing to deliver, I suppose. Now that's a long question, so I might sure. split that up a small bit. But... I guess, okay, look, and, and when, I talk, when we talk about environmental sustainability, there's three legs of the stool. There's gaseous emissions, which is GHG and ammonia. You have your water quality, which we look at kind of nitrogen and phosphorus balances. And we have our biodiversity, which we're still working on trying to generate metrics there. So we have focus maybe first on the greenhouse, the gaseous emission side on the greenhouse gas grasses. So, so for like, we basically replicate what the EPA do at a national level, you know, when they report Ireland's greenhouse gas emissions of, you know, to the, to the UN, the United Nations and, and yet under, under the, the, the various protocols, we replicate that uh, and it's at a country level, essentially. So, you know, at, from from a, a dairy perspective, 2022, the greenhouse gas emissions actually declined at an, on a farm basis and a per hectare basis. What drove, what drove that? Basically, although animal numbers were increase, in, increasing, the chemical fertilizer um, uh, uh, type and quantity, uh, you know, uh, that quantity re- reduced, but also the, the, um, the type of fertilizer they apply was probably more beneficial from a GHG perspective. And that can is lower emission rates than things like um, urea and spirit urea and so on and so forth. Um, so like from a from a emissions perspective, GHG emissions, it went down. The opposite was the story with the ammonia, unfortunately. Now ammonia 
we're on the we're on the hook big time for ammonia. Um, we have this directive under we have this EU directive called the NEC directive, National Emission Ceiling Directive, where we have a target and we failed to meet that target in eight of the last ten years. Um, ammonia went the wrong direction. Why? Basically, um, because it was a profile of I said type of quantity is important. Uh, farmers because of the price of fertilizer substitute a lot to straight urea. Now, straight urea is rocket fuel in terms of ammonia emissions compared to protected urea or can for that matter. Um, uh, and so that, that really drove the increase in, in, in ammonia emissions as well as slightly increasing heart, heart sizes because a lot of the, the, the ammonia emissions kind of relate to the animal in terms of manure management uh, when they're housed, you know. Okay. And you said there about the, I suppose, to be fair to farmers, there it wasn't a whole lot they could do in terms of choice of fertilizer in the early part of 2022. It was kind of take it or leave it. We would have had a number of farms that we would have been dealing with that ended up getting a half load of protected urea and a half load of straight urea, even though they'd looked for the full load of, of protected. But, um, that's, it's still probably important to, to kind of focus on that a small bit, Kyle, from the point of view of that the, Overall, in terms of the amount of of protected urea that has been used, it's probably still a small yeah. proportion. It's the smaller proportion of the straight nitrogen that's still being bought into the country. And is that one of the main innovations? Is is the term that you use for it there? And people yeah. might find that strange to to see it as an innovation when spreading fertilizer. How how is that an innovation? But it's the type of fertilizer we're using. Yeah, like, to, to drive change, we really really have to double down our efforts in terms of trying to use more and more protected urea. Correct, Stuart, yeah. So, like, I think dairy farms, about 14% of the overall chemical was in the form of protected urea. I got from an ammonia perspective, it's massively important to get uh, get the straight urea out of the system and, and protected urea. It's a, bit of a, it's, a, it's a bit of a trade-off here when it comes to ammonia and GHG. Look, can is very good from an ammonia perspective, but very bad from a GHG perspective versus protected urea. Mm. So protected urea is kind of the, the balance there in terms of better than straight urea for for ammonia and better than can for for GHGs. So really, like you know, the 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 message in terms of chemical fertilizer is uh, if you're going to apply it, please apply it in terms of the straight element anyway. In terms of uh, protected urea, like the two main things that drive emissions here, like are animal numbers and how they're fed and chemical fertilizer use. So you know, we've seen massive increases in fertilizer prices the last few years, two two years in particular, like two three hundred percent. So you know, a hedge for farmers against this high this high price because we can't control it. We're not manufacturers of fertilizer. We're going to price takers here, real price takers. So, you know, hedge against the, the external pressure on prices would be things like multi-species swords and clover, where you can fix nitrogen from the environment and then you're less reliant on this imported chemical fertilizer. I know there's no there's more management and 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 I suppose things can potentially go wrong with clover multi-species swords, but I think the investment is really worth it, like in terms of the, you know. Uh, reducing your risk to the to the to the external shocks, we're probably more likely to see going forward with the kind of geopolitical situation we face. We face like there's no guarantee the prices and fertilizer won't 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 be so volatile in the future. You know. Um, yeah, it's, all, it's quite volatile economics in our um, yeah political situation currently, and it's hard to believe in 2023 that we could be dealing with kind of two significant uh, war yeah. things occurring in the country in the world. Um, so yeah, the, so your point is basically that the way we can reduce our both our GHGs and our ammonia in particular is by reducing the amount of fertilizer that we're applying and the fertilizer that we do apply has to be in the form of protected urea 
for the nitrogen element of it and then we'll say we, we can we can go into the details of how you manage your nutrient management and so forth around the P's and the K's and, and another day. Sure. The, the I suppose the other element I want to mention sure, is, is the liming element, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's important, to, obviously, from a, a nutrient use efficiency perspective to get your pH for grass at 6.3 or thereabouts. Now, I suppose there's a, again, there's a bit of a, there's a, bit of a, um, a story around lime, you know. When you apply lime on a once-off basis, and we saw this in some of the signpost farms, you get a you get a pulse in, in the year. You, you you get a kind of GHG because it, it emits CO two directly when you apply lime in the year in the year it's applied, which could jack up your G, a farmer's GHG emissions on a once-off basis. But I suppose the return to that then is like it's technically some of the science would say if you get your pH right and you could get an extra ninety kgs of N and maybe five of P from the soil naturally. That's the key point here in terms of. Of the mitigation of of you know of getting of applying lime is you really farmers should be reducing their chemical end on the back of it, and that's a hard enough message to sell uh, because you know if you don't if farmers don't reduce their their, their fertilizer on the back of liming then they're actually going to increase their emissions um, when they're realizing probably more natural NMP from the system you know. Okay, and the other is there any justification then for kind of being more consistent about your liming as well that there's a regular amount of lime with plus or minus a load kind of type scenario going out every year absolutely yeah absolutely if you can you know if if, if you do 20 25 percent of farm every year then you'll keep your your emissions will say at a fairly constant way from the liming and hopefully you can reduce your chemical end on the back of that then and reduce your emissions and i suppose the other point in it then is uh, when you if you get oh, obviously there's probably going to be a scenario if you're low on ph that you're going to have to take the hit at some point but if you do get it to a certain point and you're maintaining yeah. then the like like you said there the ability to reduce the nitrogen fertilizer is more consistent rather than in the peaks and troughs of high ph where it should be dropping off down to a low ph where you're not getting a response and finding oh my fertilizer isn't working so great and i'll put out a bit more to try to compensate for it type scenario so so the the other um and again it has an ammonia element on it as well the um the low emission slurry spreading has gone up quite a bit, especially in the dairy site. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, in, in fairness, like through regulation and, and I suppose extension efforts, like I think about seventy five percent of the of the of the slurry being applied in dairy farms is through less, which is which is great. Again, look at probably going to we'd like to get it closer to hundred if, if possible down the line. But like you know, if you have a choice between you know a, a contractor or whatever, like you know, make sure they're using the the, the less element because you're saving nitrogen. Again, you should be reducing. There's 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 nitrogen use efficiencies there from less versus splash bait like we're probably gain, you're gaining in like you know so again you could probably reduce your chemical fertilizer on the back of that as well like you know um, depending on how much you're, you're applying in a given field and so on and so forth like you know yeah absolutely so um just in the we'll say the actual total emissions then I suppose um how do we re- work out in in dairy terms versus the other sectors like we are, we are the highest emitters effectively. Um. Obviously, the, the imposition then is on the dairy farmer to get the biggest gains in order to achieve this twenty five percent reduction that we're talking about. But just to quantify it, I suppose the average farm size that you've spoken about there around the sixty four, sixty five hectares, ninety two cows. What are the emissions coming from those like? Yeah, it's about six hundred and six uh, tons of GHG in twenty twenty two. Down from. 616 six, in, in 2021 so there was a decline of fairness it's about 9.4 tons per hectare in 22 versus 9.6 in, in, in 21 um ammonia as well it's about three tons in three tons in 2022 up it's, it's up from 2.89 in 2021 
basically how we quantify that and like that, that those levels are about four to five times higher than your non-dairy systems your cattle your sheep and your your, your arable why is that look because you have significantly higher um livestock kind of stocking rate and and chemical fertilizer application rates um the balance are like if, if you were if you want to look track emissions there's two things you, you know two things you can eyeball is your your animal numbers and your chemical fertilizer use like the animal numbers you know the herd sizes have been edging like the I put this graph every year in terms of you know farmers carbon footprint of the milk, the the number of output of milk per cow, and then the herd size. And the first two, the, there's been efficiency gains, and the farms are farmers are generating more output per milk output per cow at a lower carbon footprint. But the herd size has been linear in terms of increasing. That's what's essentially driving have been driving all along. We're still seeing a slight increase in the dairy herd size, maybe one percent, one and a half percent, the last two years, 2022 and look like the same in 2023 um so like you know in, in a, if a farmer has a steady state hard like you know it they can they can they can they can do stuff with say a lot of stuff to reduce their emissions it's going to be very like i'll be honest with you you know 75 percent of the emissions are kind of related to the animal when it comes to ghg in terms of methane like no we don't have a lot of tools in the box yet for methane like you know we're working on feed additives stuff like that like you know which hopefully down the line Will be a would be would be a big help to us, but at the moment we don't have a lot of mitigation uh, linked to, directly to the animal. Like you know, we can we can do things like you know reducing reducing the crude protein and concentrates where you know when they're out grazing it doesn't need to be at 19 percent, maybe four and fifteen is 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 also required. You know, we can get rid of unproductive animals. In the longer term, you can look at dairy EBI kind of breeding for lower meeting um, meat and animals and so on and so forth. Um, but like the the the, the hard like you know. The hard and fast rule is like if your heart size is is, is increasing and at, 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 increasing at a higher at a significant rate, that one would find it very difficult to reduce your emissions. And Carl, I suppose that creates problems for people in terms of getting their head around it. I think in that I want to expand, for example. Now, obviously, with what's happened with nitrates and so forth, the idea of expansion maybe is getting a little bit um, less ap- appetizing or appealing maybe than it has been in the past because of all that will be going with it in terms of extra storage and so forth. And um, like, does, did if, does, is what you're doing here or what you're measuring here actually, does it have to put a lid on people's aspirations or expectations of what they want to do and with their own farm? Because I think you said at the start there that this is an at a, a an, an national a national level, I suppose. That is, it's Ireland that we're talking about here. It's not talking about Cahill Buckley's farm or Stuart Child's farm. Yeah. It's, Correct. So, no, like, no, if no I have aspirations to drive on, I can can I can do that. But I I still that's not to say that I don't continue to focus on driving that per unit measure down. Correct. Look at um. There's two things we like. You know, we we look at in terms of like our our. Like, you know, we're a food exporting country, like, you know, so the carbon footprint of the milk is very hugely important to say, look, we're producing this litre of milk or kg of milk at a low carbon footprint, which that's very important, especially from the processor side, like trying to sell this uh, on external markets. That's one side of the, the coin. The other side of the coin is the absolute emissions, like, you know, and our competitors are increasingly looking at us and say, how can you say you're green, like, if your absolute emissions are going up year on year, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, like, it, 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 there's no farm-specific tar- uh, target or constraint here. Outside, outside of what you said about the nitrates, to be honest. Yeah. But from a GHG perspective, a money perspective, there's, there's no kind of limit or there's no restriction on farmers. Like if a dairy, if one dairy farmer goes up and the other goes down, they're counterbalancing, like, you know, and, and that's what we're seeing, you know, at a national level, we're seeing some of the suckler cows take, being taken out of the system, like, you know. So 
uh, the thing is, like one, it's it's not a one for one ratio. If you, yeah, yeah. If you time the difference, as you said yeah. there earlier, it's it's like a one. It's like um, a, a dairy cow emits one and a half times the emissions of a of a suckler cow. Like you know, so you need one one point five suckler cows if for every dairy cow you're adding to the system. Um, but like you know, it, 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 there's nothing individually to say like you know you can't you can't maximize or can't do whatever like you know barrel outside the nitrates directive, which is going to be a big a big issue uh, in terms of how it's implemented. But I suppose the you know farmers can do what they can do in terms of the technologies like you know do their protected urea, do your less, do your you know feed, hopefully feed additives might be a, a big help like the, go, going forward. Do your crude protein you know um, measurement like in terms of the ammonia stuff, uh, covering of stores like you know slurry amendments probably down the line like you know so some of the measures like have dual our dual purpose in terms of ammonia and GHG like less protected urea and crude protein for example in the main tree. Yeah, and you mentioned the crude protein there already, um, and how that should uh, that's been implemented under the nitrates derogation and uh, rules really in the last couple of years, and it's this uh, co-benefits that they talk, isn't it? Really, that they're they we'll say, and so the reduction is helping from a nitrate point of view, but it's also helping from a GHG point of view as well. Just on the nitrogen use efficiency piece, I suppose then, Kyle, just as as you mentioned, nitrates. Um, obviously very topical at the moment, the whole nitrates piece, but the, I suppose nitrogen use efficiency is, uh, it's it's around with a long time, but it's lingo that we haven't really been using on farms hugely in the last couple, or up until very recent years. So where are we sitting at in terms of the dairy systems uh, with their nitrogen use efficiency according to your figures? Yeah, we do a farm gate balance. We call farm gate nitrogen balance. So look, we, we track what comes on what comes onto the farm uh, in in nitrogen terms. What does that mean? Like, well, it means how much N is coming in fertilizer, how much N is coming in in concentrated feeds, how much N is coming in forage feeds. Is it, are you importing organic slurry? Are you importing uh, uh, buying livestock? Everything is put back into the kg event, and then far side, what goes out? Like, what how many kgs of nitrogen go out milk and and cull cows and grain so on and so forth one minus the other gives you your surplus and that, that, that's kind of the higher the higher the surplus like you know the higher the pressure on on the on the local environment all other things being equal now we know that in water quality that covers a lot because some some biophysical places can take a higher surplus than others based on the, the local hydrology and and, and and soil and so on and so forth but in, what we've seen is that look dairy farmers have reduced that surplus over the last few years it was like over 220 2018 which was a, a bit of a freak year but it's now the most recent times is down the 158 at the moment and the on the flip side the use efficiency has got up to 27.7 percent which is the highest i've seen in a, in a long time because it, it's, it's gone it was like low 20s when we first started doing this in 2013 it was low 20s like so now farmers then there, there, there are significant uh, incentives for them to optimize and fertilize it because of the price of it like in the last couple of years you know and they have responded to that like you know and i think there are more opportunities there like in terms of i keep saying like clover and multi-species like to reduce to reduce that that that, that kind of uh fertilite that that uh that that, that balance lower again you know uh but the, the the numbers on the on the on the nitrogen and and the phosphorus side are probably are all going in the right direction which is good from a water quality perspective um and like hopefully hopefully that will be seen in the water quality down the line but look a lot a lot, a lot depends on the on, say, on the local local environment because what's good in one area might not be good in the other you know yeah and if effectively what you're saying there Carl, when you talk about the surplus piece um moving away again it's a bit like the ghgs the efficiency could be really really good but if there's if there just happens to be a very very high surplus the risk of loss is is greatly increased so 
Um, because again, the animal is at fault here because the animal is in the middle. They're kind of inefficient because relative to the tillage operations, you could be up on 80 or 90% uh, inefficiency there. Um, the, the objective is to keep just to basically use enough nitrogen to grow the grass that you want to grow, or that you need to grow. And if there's a little bit spare, okay, that's not too bad. But if there's a lot to spare, obviously that's a major impact on the environment because of the risk of that being lost to the, to the groundwater and to the streams and rivers subsequently. So you've seen progress there. Uh, you've seen progress in terms of the... Um, the fertilizer change, but obviously we need more. Is there anything else that people need to look at in terms of changing here that we can impact? Like, I think the big thing here for, for farmers in general is that we get the impact as fast as possible so that we can try to change that narrative. Because I know from talking to clients, they are so tired of getting kicked all the time about and it's come up again in, in an article recently there i think actually um one of the farm organizations had an article about the number of flights that people are taking are, has actually been promoted upwards and yet farmers have been told that their cows are the problem um so just like what what can people is there anything else that we haven't covered that people should be doing and of the things that you have covered there how quickly should we be moving in these directions and uh, to try to get the fastest level of change? And if that's instantly, say that too. Like, yeah, well, <laughs> look, like to be honest, um, we've kind of covered most of the ground, uh, like stuff that's, that's sh kind of quick wins in the Chagas Mac curve, like, you know, the protected urea, the less, the crude protein being, being big ones, like get rid of any unproductive animals straight away. Like they shouldn't be hanging around because they're, they're like the longer an animal is on the farm and not productive, then there's emissions that there's no euro sign attached to essentially, like, you know, um, you know, to extend the grazing season as long as you can because emissions when they're outdoors are less when they're, versus when they're indoors. I know like that's not weather dependent, like stuff, it's, it's, it's outside the farm's control, you know, mainly, yeah. but you know, if, if, if the weather suits, like try and get them. And that's, that's like that's chalk a standard policy, I suppose, down through the years. It's the graze grass and so on and so forth. Like keep an eye out for added like there are slurry additives and feed additives that will be coming on the market hopefully in the next next year or two, or a year or two, three, I don't know, whenever they're they're approved, like and they could be game changers. Um but in the meantime, I suppose look, do 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 what you can in terms of those unproductive animals, the chemical fertilizer, the low emission slurry spreading, the clover, the multi-species, get the get you know, get that expensive chemical fertilizer out as much as you can out of the system, which will be a, a positive economic story as well as a as a as an environmental story. Okay, so um and I suppose just to highlight in terms of the the additives that you're talking about there at the moment, as it currently stands, there isn't anything that's commercially available. For farmers to buy really as such right now in ireland um that is approved so there's a lot of stuff being sold but they're they're not going to give you any advantages no. yeah no and, and and you know the way like the way the way we get credit for this is like it has to be um there has to be verifiable stuff that farmers bought x amount of an additive either by sales or through recording of the national farm survey because for example well, I give the, you know, we see the change in the low emission slurry spreading and it's through the, the data in the National Farm Survey that the EPA actually take our numbers and say, okay, farmers have, have gone 75, 75 dairy farmers have gone to this, like, you know, so yeah. they need evidence of that, like, it's the same here. So there are some slurry additives on, on the market, but again, they're, they, they're not, they're small and, and you know, the, the, they're not being tracked essentially in terms of the inventories. Like the, the feed additives, what's out there is what they call three NLP, like bovarding yeah. is the commercial name for it. Yeah. Not really suited from an Irish system because it needs to, 
and we're more suited from an indoor system in terms of constant, I mean, constant, um, constant, I suppose, uh, ingest in terms of the, the feed profile, where it's difficult when you're out there out grazing to get a symptom. Very positive stuff coming out of um, uh, out of a project uh, led by Sinead Waters that in terms of, meta, it's called Metabate, like the um, bioglass and in any way go all the way to look at these these additives maybe that could be in 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 a, in a pellet form to be, be fed to dairy cows twice a day seems to have preliminary results seem to be very positive from from that but again from the time you 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 prove you, you prove the trials to getting it certified can be can be a bit of a lag time you know but there are look at there's some green shoots there and, and, and encouraging signs for farmers because if we can get if we can get something to address the methane element, like then we're really we're really kind of making progress in the longer in the longer term, you know. Yeah, so that that's just basically coming back to as you said that there's sixty to seventy percent of the emissions are coming from the animal themselves, so they're the main source. And yeah. while people might say we're only tinkering around the edges with all the other stuff, it's very very important that we do all that tinkering, and then yeah. we get the big gain. Then when we do ultimately get something that will work, because we will get something that will work. There's no doubt about it. Like we've risen to the challenges in the past. Um, at an industry level and we'll do it again into the future so I suppose Carl, just to sum up uh, the report for 2022 is it kind of uh, going back to that Fianna Fáil slogan a lot done more to do yeah look at the economics and like the, in terms of we, didn't, we haven't talked about the economics and social but like the, the dairy farms uh, are a lot more economically and socially sustainable than the other systems well tillage aside it's definitely more than the livestock systems you know the they were a powerhouse in 2022 like the record price mid price and so on so you know from a economic and social perspective and that they're as important as the environment because if you don't have if you know you're not socially sustainable economically stable then people won't stay in the sector in the longer term so you know if we want if we want um, a dairy industry then we need those economics and social as much as we need the environmental now the environmental look at the green shoots, the GHG is going down and the um well the ammonia is concerned, to be honest. Um this year we're seeing maybe uh, less fertilizer again, 17, 17, 18% is what's out in the media. We haven't seen the final figures and a can of ammonia gone down. So there's probably a good good news story brewing on 2022 when it comes to emissions. Um heart size is up slightly again on the dairy side. So it depends how much the on the dairy side the, the fertilizer has gone down versus the increase in the in the herd size to see where the, where the where where we're down. It's probably going to be down slightly on on 2022. Uh, to be honest, I'm doing some projections here for the outlook conference tomorrow, so you know it's looking that way. But once we see the final numbers, we won't know for sure. But you know, look at from a farmer's perspective, things that can have the win-wins, like you know the the um unproductive animals, the the multi-species war, the clover, anything to get down the fertilizer would be would be would be would be well worth well worth looking at in 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 the coming year. So effectively, the the objective that all dairy farmers should have for 2023, 24, sorry, is to reduce their chemical nitrogen application rates. But they can only achieve that by bringing in something to replace that chemical nitrogen if they want to maintain the stocking rates that they have and so forth. So there's a, a kind of a, a bit of a hill to climb there, but uh, but people need to start look, getting to the bottom of the hill anyway to start to climb it. So well, it's worth exactly investing in in, in time to 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 study it anyway, like in terms of what 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 other farmers and and, and researchers have done. Like you know, there's a lot of a lot of work there in uh, things like Solihead and Moor Park and and Curtains, like in terms of the. Clover, especially like multi-species, we're still young enough in terms of the research. Like, but all the signs are that it has potentially positive bio, from a biomass and uh, and an animal health perspective. You know, so it's uh, look at it, we pre- I appreciate that there's more management involved and it's a bit of a change of change of direction in terms of, of grassland management. 
But like with the with the volatility in the chemical fertilizer prices, we're likely to see going forward. I think farmers need definitely need to look for it as a hedge against this, you know. Yeah, so look, I think that's a, a good point to finish on, Carl. That's good advice in relation to reducing that reliance on on an external uh, source of, of uh, nitrogen. So thanks, Carl, for coming on today and talking to us about the sustainability results. We look forward to that and thank you very much for your time. No problem. That's all for this week's episode of the Dairy Age podcast. And my thanks to Carl Buckley for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Stuart Childs and join us next time for your Dairy Edge.